Hello, and welcome to Foul Puck. Uh, I forgot what the intro is. Hello, and welcome to Foul Puck, a podcast about sports ball for the rest of us. Unlike other sports ball podcasts, we talk about sports without assuming that all of our listeners know everything there is to know about the eight-hole and weight room mood lighting. (laughs) I'm Rachel, I'm your baseball guru, and I am joined today in the blue room by... This is Rebecca, I'm your hockey guru, and your NCAA sports cranky person. (laughs) And Joe, I'm going to make a request that you keep that whole intro in there from Rachel. No! No! (laughs) I just, I think it's important that we remain transparent. (laughs) The theme of this podcast is becoming Rachel can't say words, which I'm not sure I'm in favor of. It's okay. I was listening to episodes today and... The theme that I was getting was Nancy repeats herself a lot. So, you know, we each got our thing. (laughs) Oh, that's right. So in the green room, we also have... I'm Nancy. I'm your basketball enthusiast. Okay. And that means I have to talk again. So... (laughs) Good luck. Good luck. We're off to a rip-roaring start today. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those days. Uh, Came in hot with a Slurpee and a bag of chips and I'm... Not in the right headspace. You're yet. living right. your best life there. Did you just get up I like am. an hour and a half ago? You know what? I'm not going to answer that question. Fair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sporks. So uh, today I'm going to lead us off with uh, an unwritten rule of baseball. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So today I'm going to tell you why you should have your power hitter bat cleanup. You're, that was a you're lot of words together. All of those things, right? Yes. Okay. Okay, picture it. You have nine non-gender specific guys. All of them have to bat, presuming that the DH is replacing the pitcher where necessary, etc., etc. Okay, although as we all know now, time means nothing. Still, sequence is an inevitable fact of the universe, so you as the manager need to pick the order in which they step up to the plate. If not for all time, at least for the next game. So how do you go about doing this? Alphabetically. Uh, by height. Thank you for bringing that up, Nancy, because my next point was alphabetically, <laughs> probably not. As you don't want to bury the Christian Yelich's and Marcus's Semyon of the world too deep in your line- lineup. Simple math dictates that the earlier a player hits in the lineup, the more at-bats they'll get in a game, right? Yeah. Okay, so does that mean you should go in order of descending batting averages? Well, only kinda. Allow me to break it down for you. Please do. All right. The first player on your lineup is known as the leadoff batter. They're obviously not going to lead off every single inning, but given certain other factors, they're most likely to be facing a field full of empty bases. Thus, you don't want to put your power hitter in the first slot. A solo home run is great, but a bases loaded home run is, let me do the math, exactly 400% better. (laughs) Thus, you want your leadoff batter's best skill to be getting on base and running quickly once there. This often means someone who's consistent at hitting singles and stealing bases, but don't count out players who happen to be good at drawing walks or even bunting. Now, this is the position that Marcus Semien inhabited for much of his time with the A's, and he was excellent at it because of his consistency. In 2019, he was sixth in the majors in overall hits, sixth in hitting doubles, fourth in total bases, and first in all of baseball for plate appearances. Literally nobody else in 2019 went to bat more often in the majors than Marcus Semien. Wow. Yep. 
D. Gordon, when he was with the Marlins, batted leadoff because of his speed factor. He's so fast that he can regularly outrun a bunt to first base. And though he struggled in the past few seasons, he's topped the majors in stolen bases. In 2017, he had the most singles and the most stolen bases, making him the most dangerous leadoff batter in the league, making it even more clinically insane that the Marlins traded him after the season. (laughs) But anyway, now let's turn our attention to the number two slot. Here, you also want consistency. Uh, depending on the speed of your leadoff batter, you may also want someone who's good at bunting or just regularly sending the ball into the outfield. After all, even if it gets caught, your base runner can often advance after tagging up. Above all, you want someone who doesn't strike out much. Uh, Tommy Lastella, who uh, the A's briefly had last season, filled this role quite handily. Given the league-wide strikeout rate, he was pretty amazing at simply not doing that, <laughs> which is harder than you might think. <clears throat> okay, on to number three. Consistency is still important here, but power starts to come into play. Traditionally, this is the spot for your best overall hitter, the player who can send runners into home most reliably. Finding one of these guys isn't quite like finding the Holy Grail, but it's close. Uh, St. Michael of Trout often hits third. (laughs) And if one of your players is on a hot streak, you might move them to this position. Mm. However, one of the many nitpicky debates going on in baseball today is whether you should actually put your best hitter at number two, since that spot in the lineup is likely to have slightly more at-bats over the course of a season. Mm. Now, one of baseball jargon's more colorful metaphors is to refer to these spots in the lineup as holes. Mm. Usually, this applies to the later, less valuable spots, the seven hole, the eight hole, and so on. But every now and again, you'll get a good conversation about who you've got in the two hole. And uh, that's always fun for the whole family. (laughs) So where does the cornhole come into this? That's a different sport. Different sport entirely. Yeah. And the five (sighs) hole is hockey. Yes. Hockey has one, two, three, four, and five hole. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do they ever talk so about over anything there. other than the five hole, though? I don't think I've heard it. Um, the five hole is the one most referred to as the hole. Because mm-hmm. it's, so if you stand like a starfish, it's one hole, two <laughs> hole, three hole, four hole, five hole between Wait, the legs. what? So, yep. right, so if you're standing like a starfish, it's it, the goal, what does that Da Vinci's man. No, no, you're right? the goalie. So the goal is behind me. Oh, so getting it over okay, my right shoulder person. is it's a, one gotcha. hole. Under my right arm and above my right leg is two hole. Over my left shoulder is three. Under my left arm is four. And between my legs is five. Mm-hmm. So okay. usually you'll say, the, the announcers will say, you know, high blocker side. And that might be mm-hmm. above my right shoulder instead of saying the one hole. But that's mm-hmm. where you get the five hole. <laughs> Because well, they don't want to say under the goalie's crotch all the time. So they I, just say frankly, the five hole. That, that sounds less bad to me than <laughs> he, Fair. you know, dunked on the goalie's five hole. Like, what? But it's <laughs> longer. It's more cumbersome to spit out when you're talking about the game. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> all right. All right. Baseball. Back mm, together. Yeah, sorry, right. sorry. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> right. Please, so number please four. Please talk to us more about baseball's holes. Yes. <laughs> So the four hole is the position commonly referred to as batting cleanup, as in cleaning runners off the bases. Mm. So in a perfect world, batters one, two, and three all get in, get on base in order, and your cleanup batter has the bases loaded. 
While this rarely happens in reality, the fourth hitter is indeed the one most likely to have some base runners ready to go. Makes sense. So this is where you put the guy who can knock it out of the park. Mm. Your Giancarlo Stantons, your Chris Davises. This hitter doesn't have the highest batting average, but when they make contact, you'll know it. They are, if you will, the conductor on that fabled train to pound town. <laughs> <laughs> so number on five that is your s- train. <laughs> <laughs> Stopping Thank at every you, single hole on the way there. <laughs> Our album will be coming out later this year. <laughs> Look for it in stores. All right. So number five is your second best power hitter, which is still important since the bigger the swing, often the more likely the batter is to strike out. So a number five hitter will often also have base runners. Uh, Be an optimist and assume the five hole will still have some base runners to work with. Uh, Traditionally, positions six through nine are where you stick your uh, less accomplished batters. Yo, that's me. The ones with great personalities. (laughs) Yep, that's definitely me. Often these are your catchers and star infielders. Uh, The ones you hired for defense and not offense will go here. In National League teams, where the pitcher is almost always the worst hitter, the pitcher bats dead last in the nine hole. Now, some managers are more likely to play around with the lineup than others. Uh, The A's, for example, particularly in 2018 and 2019, had their tent poles at number one, Semyon, and number four, Davis, but were willing to swap other pieces around. Uh, Laureano moved around a lot based on how well he was doing in a given week or month from eight to three to five. The mats were pretty much always near the front of the lineup, but their exact positions changed. Mark Canna, who has some power, but is also pretty dependable, was typically fifth or sixth. Of course, there are other factors than just power and consistency of play. Some managers like to vary righties and lefties so that the opposing team can't just pick a pitcher that throws well Mm -hmm. against one or the other and thus decimate your entire lineup. Um, If a particular player on your team tends to do well against the other team's starting pitcher, bump them up in the lineup just for this game. And hitters eight and nine don't have to be garbage. (laughs) If... For example, you have more consistency than power on your team. You can treat six and seven as your throwaway spots and use eight and nine Mm -hmm. like a second leadoff spot. Mm -hmm. And some players just seem to do well in certain spots. If that's the case, you often would do well to work around them. Uh, Don't try to cram number eight in the two hole is what I'm saying. (laughs) And them's the rules. I have a question, Rachel. Yes. So does the batting... Um, not the, not necessarily the batting order, but does the, the batting situation, does it reset every inning? So like if you go one through six in inning one, does it start with seven in inning two or does it go back? It it starts with seven. Okay. Yes. It always starts with the next batter. Yes. That's what I thought. And you set it, you set it once at the top of the game and keep it for the whole game. Um, Oh, so you can't even change it like mid, mid inning. I almost said period, mid inning. (laughs) <laughs> no, okay. but you can do some fancy substitution stuff. That's where double substitutions sure. come in, where you're not substituting, let's say, a catcher for a catcher. You're, you know, swapping. And this gets done more in National League because you're swapping pitchers out mm-hmm. um, frequently in the later innings um, okay. to kind of move. But once somebody's on the field in the batting order, they're set where they are okay. for the game. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well... With that checked off our list, we're going to head on to sort of the, uh, I don't know what they call the meat of the episode or the black hole coming up, because uh, we have, we're, I think, long on feelings for this particular uh, topic. 
So it is, in fact, March, March 20th, now where we're recording, uh, heading into March Madness, mm-hmm. uh, which refers to the uh, NCAA basketball tournament. Um, does it refer to both the women's and the men's, mm-hmm. or is it okay? Uh, well, that's good, at least. So uh, as this pandemic continues on, uh, now, March Madness was just completely canceled last year, correct? Correct. I, I'm not sure, actually, that it was completely canceled. Uh, some of the games had happened prior to everything shutting down, but it, okay. but it was canceled, like, partway through and never happened. Gotcha. Yeah, and I remember <laughs> hearing that that was canceled was a pretty big, like, almost more than the NBA, because I know how, how seriously people take March Madness. Well, my point in bringing that up is that they're, you know, figuring out how to do this in semi-quarantine. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they're calling it a bubble, um, but they are uh, not using the, they're using centralized facilities rather than um, mm-hmm. the various teams' right, usual facilities. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know much about this. Will uh, somebody fill me in on what this looks like? Yeah, so I'll, uh, I think Rebecca and I have both had a chance to get real good and pissed about how this went this week. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it off. And, and Rebecca, feel free to jump in with as much shouting as you like at any point. Oh, I will. Well, I'll try not to shout so that I don't make Joe's work harder, but <laughs> oh, I will okay. jump in. I will jump yeah. in. All right. So historically, as I think we have covered many times on this pod, women's sports get the short end of the fucking stick. What? what? <laughs> I know. Shocking. Shocking I know. news. <laughs> New update. I'll give you a minute to breathe through that surprise there. Yeah. Uh, And there are a lot of arguments for it. One of my personal favorites and by favorite, I mean, makes me scream and want to tear my hair out is, excuse me, that uh, women's sports bring in less money. Therefore, they are less deserving of equal treatment. And I mention that because that's going to be an argument used uh, in what we're about to talk about. So the NCAA men's and women's tournaments are ongoing. The men's tournament uh, is kicking off in Indianapolis and the women's tournament is kicking off in San Antonio. Both cities with large sports teams. But very different, apparently, from what I understand. Clearly. (laughs) Clearly what's available in San Antonio is mm-hmm. uh, shockingly low in comparison mm-hmm. to what's available in Indianapolis. Well, you know, Texas, they don't care much about sports. There, right. I know, mean, so. exactly. Like, obviously, they're just insufficient to fucking Indiana. But uh, excuse me. <laughs> uh, growing up in Illinois, we have certain feelings about some of our neighbors. Uh, <laughs> I'd also Fair. just like to say Indiana produced Mike Pence. So, like, draw your own conclusions. Um Okay, but I have to, I mean, we're not going to really get into this. I do have to stand up for Indiana a little bit. Do you? I do. Why? I know, so, I know some good people from Indiana. Uh, that, and they, that's fair. they like so Indiana. I, 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 I mean, I don't know that. From Indiana, well, they're lovely, but. They, they probably haven't had as global an impact, unfortunately, as Mike Pence, given that their politics uh-huh. and his are very disparate. Uh-huh. But I, Indiana's not all bad. Just mostly. Yeah, I I'll didn't buy that. Realize that Nancy had written off an entire state here. Oh yeah, <laughs> Indiana and Missouri both one. can just burn and go. burn in a fire. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> we'll keep but Wisconsin. That's, Wisconsin's that's a different okay episode. most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, so much like uh, when we talked about the NBA bubble and the WNBA bubble last year, what happened uh, when the men and the women turned up at their, yeah, I'm not sure if it's technically being called a bubble for the NCAA or not, but turned up at their facilities. It was immediately obvious that uh, separate was not equal in this case at all. Uh, And we need to talk about a a few instances of how this was the case, going from the somewhat minor to the truly egregious. So just starting off, uh, the swag bags. So like, like many events, the uh, people who show up and participate receive swag bags full of products from various, you know, athletic brands or whatever who want these athletes to use and talk about and be seen wearing or using their products, right? Is this something that's done every year? Yeah. Like, even when it's... Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and surprising no one, uh, the women's bags were pretty inferior to the men's. Now, you know... It was like a shop, plastic shop right bag with a mm-hmm. used shoe in it. Basically. Pretty much. Um... Only but just one. one used shoe. Exactly. Just <laughs> yeah. not a pair. <laughs> part of the tournament you was... You had to make a friend. Yeah, exactly. Part of the tournament was you have to find your matching bag and shoe buddy. <laughs> and then you it's gotta hope... activity. You gotta hope that you're not playing each other uh-huh. because those are the only shoes you have. Yep, that's it. Yep. So, so this is... I mean, it sounds trivial, right? Like, oh no, they didn't get as much free shit, right? But, but that's it's just the really- start. It's just the start. And also it's still indicative of like where the money is going, right? Like this, these are investments. This is about, you know, where, where people are, are wanting to seed future growth and where they think it's important to, you know, put their time and their money. Right. So, so we start there. Um, Now from there we go to the weight room and, and uh, like workout room situation. So the men, because these are athletes, right? Like you're not playing basketball every single day. And when you're not playing basketball, you need to keep up your training, right? So the men get a full tricked out weight room, nice machines, good weights, lots of space so they can be socially distanced while they're working out. The women got a small pile of hand weights and some yoga mats. And I am not joking. That is no. literally what they got. Yep. And when confronted and about this, the well, response... I just, can I, yeah, can go I, ahead. Real quick for context. If you've ever lived in an apartment building mm-hmm. at, that has a gym, the, mm-hmm. the women's teams got less than that. Like yep. the, the dumbbell weight rack in an apartment gym was probably equal to what these collegiate athletes got Mm -hmm. and the collegiate athletes didn't get the treadmills and the, you know, Nordic tracks and the both flexes Mm -hmm. and whatever else are in your, your terrible apartment gym. Right. They got a pile of yoga fire festival cheese sandwich. Yes. Weight rooms. That is correct. That is the exactly right analogy of weight rooms. (laughs) Yeah. So when pictures of this came out, the response was, oh, well, 
we didn't have enough space and so we planned to get something better or expand it after a few teams had been eliminated. Which, A, fuck you, B, fuck you, and C, <laughs> fuck you! Like, yes, I believe this was easily refuted by panning the camera yes. a few degrees to the left. Yes. <laughs> also, just like, what the hell? So the guys get to start out all of the teams with a nice weight room, but for the women, we're just going to wait a little bit. Let a few of the teams get eliminated, and then we'll give you the nice... Like, I call bullshit, first of all. And second of all, what the fucking hell kind of plan is that? Like, well, oh, well, after well, a see, few Well, see, the teams rounds, had to sleep. They all had to sleep in the same room. So you got to clear out a few of them before you can fit the I weights mean, in, right? probably. But also, like, this is this offends me on so many levels. And one of those levels is just project manager, right? Yes. Like, who the <laughs> hell sets up an event and is like, well, we're just not going to worry about getting, you know, all the food set up for the first day. We figure some people will go home. They're not staying for the full weekend. So then we'll bring in the food for the second and third days. Or like the location. You're like, well, there's not enough space in the location. So I guess we'll just like wait until some people are pissed and leave and then we'll have enough space. No, pick a better fucking location. Like if that were actually the problem, if if the location was actually insignificant or insufficient you should have picked a different location like this well, is well it's almost basic. as though this excuse was pulled out of somebody's ass almost at the 11th That's hour true. when they were confronted Still with it fragrant with the shit it had been sitting in <laughs> when it was pulled out go ahead rebecca please so um muffet mcgraw she is a former head women's basketball coach at notre dame um, she tweeted out a long statement that I think made it to our Twitter account, but I wanted to read part of it. Um, the fact that there are inequalities in facilities, food, fan attendance, and swag bags is not what bothers me. What bothers me is that no one on the NCAA's leadership team even noticed. Mm -hmm. While corporations across the country are scrambling to hire women and set up diversity and inclusion teams, the NCAA had an opportunity to highlight how sport can be a place where we don't just talk about equality, we put it on display. To say mm -hmm. they drop the ball would be the understatement of the century. Yep. 10 out of 10, co-signed. Yeah. So the weight room. So then next we get to the food, which takes us right back to the, the in-double and, uh, and the NBA bubble. The men get uh, fully catered, like, buffet-style, you know, choices, options. The women get... A delivered small plastic thing full of Box like what looked like airplane food, DoorDash. And also, I didn't read too much about this, but maybe you saw this, Rebecca. There was something about they were having difficulty even getting their delivery picked up. I like, didn't see that, but I, I think it's because of the because of the protocol. Like they couldn't go and fetch it, and so then they were having trouble oh like getting their food delivered to. I don't. I didn't see well, the details. Well, I mean, my thing. I looked at the pictures of the food. I could not identify half of it, like, what yep. the food was. Yep. Uh, legitimately. And I love food. <laughs> I'm very good at recognizing what food is what. You see? Uh -huh. And some Rebecca, of this... Notoriously a good identifier of food. <laughs> That's going to be the subtitle of my memoir. <laughs> um, I could... Some of that did not look like food. No, it did not. Yeah. So the food... So the swag bags, the weight room, the food. Let's get to number four, which was the staffing. So this is its. This gets into a couple other adjacent problems we're not going to tackle today. But um, 
Aren't we? Aren't we? No, oh, we're, we're really not. <laughs> so, uh, so <laughs> the staff and coaches of the NCAA for women tend to have higher numbers of women than the NCAA men's teams, right? Yes. Stands to reason a lot of the coaches are former, you know, women's basketball players. A lot of the staff are female, which also means you tend to have very small children or infants, many of whom are being breastfed, who need to travel with their breastfeeding parent, right? You but you, you can't just leave the, the breast at home? Uh, not have it still function, I don't think. <laughs> I mean, I suppose technically you could, but... Um, Carry on. So you also run up against the fact that you have a limited number of people you're allowed to bring to these bubbles, right? Or to these restricted access areas or whatever the fuck we're calling these, right? I don't think we're calling it a bubble. I haven't heard that. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, So there's a limited number of people you can bring. And some genius decided that a babe in arms counts as a person in this regard. So if you, the nursing staff physician for the team, need to bring your infant, then they have to cut some other staff person, right? Which then puts your team at disadvantage. And it's, you know, it's just absurd. Like how, I mean, even an airplane doesn't consider a child under two an individual, right? I, like, I had not heard that that piece. I yeah, had not so, heard the piece yeah. about... Yeah. Oh, my God. Now, the corollary to this, of course, is that that would also be true for the men's teams, which speaks to the assumptions we're making about primary caregivers, which I mm-hmm. also don't like. Like, mm-hmm. an infant yeah. under two should not count against anybody's staffing, mm-hmm. period, whether it's the men's or the women's. But because of the makeup of the staffing of the various mm-hmm. teams, it's... A problem more on the it women's teams. It disproportionately affects the, exactly. the women's league. Right. So big old stinking pile of bullshit of, there. Yeah, it smacks of like no one, no women being involved yep. uh, in the uh-huh. decision making. It 100%. really does. Yep. Yep. Uh, and also no child care provided as well. So the players, if any of the players have children, if any of the staff had children, like not only do they count against the count of people you can bring, but also there's nobody there to help take care of them. Which again, you know, I I hate that this is more of a problem for the women's teams than for the men's teams, because it speaks to how much we see women only as, and treat women functionally as caregivers of small children. But, but it shouldn't, it should be addressed regardless. You mean their husbands can't just babysit them? As soon as your husband can start nursing. (laughs) <laughs> so um <clears throat> i did just want to mean I, I, up. to be clear there are probably some trans men out there who are nursing so good for them but the statistical incidence of it is probably low especially in the nba exactly <clears throat> or collegiate athletics um, i just want to be so, clear <laughs> yeah. there can um, be so husbands who nurse i did want to look up the board of governors of the ncaa there mm-hmm. are um <clears throat> So it, it is um, 25 members, um, the NCAA president and the chairs of the Division One Council, Division Two, and Division Three Management Councils are members. And then the other 21 voting members 
are chancellors or presidents from the Division One Board of Directors, blah, 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 blah. In any case, um, out of the 25 people on this list, um, six or seven do have female appearing names. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so I So that's would, a solid I'm, maybe 20%. Yeah. Um, but I would also guess that since these... Um, voting members of the board of governors are chancellors and presidents of universities and institutes of higher education, that they were not actually the ones involved in any sort of planning capacity for this. So Mm -hmm. I don't know who the planning committee was. Um, I did not dig for that. Um, But I suspect you're exactly right that there were few women Mm -hmm. um, on the, on the, panel, committee, whatever, that put together the logistics for this. I'm going to even go out on a limb and say, I suspect that there are few, that there were few younger men with small children on this panel, because I feel like, you know, it's not universal, obviously, but, but millennial and Gen Z men are getting better about paying attention to this bullshit. Whereas boomers and, and Gen X you know, again, obviously not all of them are bad about it, but I feel like the incidence of them thinking about stuff like this would be lower. So I, f- I think age might even be a part of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's making these decisions? What age are they? Do they mm-hmm. have small children at home that would make them go, oh, maybe this would be a problem? Or when they had small children, were they primary caregivers? Probably right. not. Yeah. 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 So that's that's tick number four on our list of incredible steaming piles of bullshit that came out of this. So number five is the best, the worst, however you want to frame it. Uh, the testing, the COVID testing is now, different. Nancy, what is mm. a COVID <laughs> test? <sighs> a COVID test, Rebecca, is where I just, they stick. <laughs> I just want to put this in context of the fact that once again, not that I think anybody has forgotten this, but we're actually still quite heavily in the depths of a mm-hmm. of a pandemic, a communicable mm-hmm. disease. <coughs> Bless you, Rachel. <laughs> Thank you. Right on in your, in I, your I isolation. I timed that perfectly. You did. <laughs> and so large groups of people, especially sports ball related people, have mm-hmm. been shown to transmit this to one another, as we've seen across many of our leagues over the past year. Uh-huh. Now, please yep. tell us about the testing disparity. <laughs> so, so if you were to imagine that there were medium tests, good tests, and really good tests, and one group of those was going to be assigned to the boys, and one group of those was going to be assigned to the girls, what assumption would you make here? They all get the really good test. <laughs> I admire your optimism. (laughs) That is not the case. So, and this was an interesting one to me because, again, they kind of tried to come. So so the fact is the men are all taking PCR tests, which are considered to be the gold standard of COVID testing. You get results quickly. They tend to be pretty accurate. You know, they're doing, I don't know if they're doing multiple a day or one a day or what. Well, women are doing, huh? And they had to... Um, they did test negative seven days in a row before okay. arriving in the location. That was for both. 
Okay, that I hadn't okay. heard. Yeah. The women are doing antigen testing, which is not terrible, but it's not as quick and it's not as accurate. There is a PCR uh, testing site in San Antonio. Like, you know, the people who develop the, like, the results, right? So you mm. drive it over to this testing facility and say, here's my test. Tell me if I'm sick or not, right? But for some reason, the women are not getting those. And when asked about it, the the league folks came out and said, well, you know, they're, they're basically the same. And that was pretty quickly refuted by lots of folks saying, no, no. actually, they're not. Uh, and what the fuck? And I have yet to see any sort of uh, actual response that takes in the critical response to that at all. So it just... Rebecca's looking. <laughs> it it just... I mean, like, okay, the swag is, is annoying but a little trivial. The weight room is galling. The not allowing, you know, uh, the counting a, a literal babe in arms as a staff member is incredibly Absurd. stupid. Absurd, yeah. yeah. But actually going so far as to risk the health, life, and safety of your players because of what they have between their legs is just infuriating on a level that I just can't even deal with. Yeah, I mean, it's literally saying your life is worth a little bit less. Yep, yep, that is exactly correct. Yeah, and and all of the other things leading up to that point kind of say that same thing, mm -hmm. but a little bit yeah. more subtly. This is mm -hmm. just blatant. This is just, yep. yeah. no, we're not going to spend that kind of money to make sure that you're okay. Yep. Like, physically okay. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. So, some of the responses that I have seen online to this include, well, there are fewer women's teams than men's teams. So yeah, it it's 64 to, to 68. Tests. It's a yes. difference of four teams, you know. 64 to 68, not a significant difference. Uh, also, the men bring in more money, which there's so many places to go with that argument. But I will also just say, I believe it's that the NCAA women's teams bring in 34 million a year. So like you're telling me you can't afford like a Nautilus machine in there somewhere. Um, I would think 34 million would cover a functional weight room, but apparently not. Well, you know what? Even if you don't have that 34 million, if you're going to be publicizing this tournament, mm -hmm. you could probably call like Peloton of San Antonio and say, hey, <laughs> could you make us a weight room and we will plug your product for the next month? Right. So that brings me to a really good point. I want to shout out Dick's Sporting Goods because yes. they very promptly loaded up trucks full of gear that they wanted to donate. And put it on Twitter and said, here we are. We're ready to drive it over. Let us know. Yeah. Uh, there was also a gym in the area. Orange something. I didn't catch. I don't remember what it was. Oh, yeah. Orange. Orange something. That immediately yeah. was like, we'd like <laughs> to invite all the women players to come work out at our gyms. We'll, sh we'll shut them down to the public. We'll sterilize everything. You can come use them. Like, so Im imagine the partnership that the NCAA I know, could right? have yeah. fostered to make mm -hmm. this happen. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it's all calls. about money and you don't want totally. to... Two phone calls. Yeah, seriously. Even even yep. if it's about money and you don't want to invest that kind of money, you call someone. You 
Hell, you call the hotel that they're staying in and say, hey, can you move this stuff from your shitty, shitty hotel gym into a larger space or athletes can use it? Like, that would have been a step up from the apartment weight rack. Yep. Yep. Well, and that, I mean, it all comes back to capitalism, of course. And we all know how we feel about this on this podcast. But this is even just like capitalism done poorly. Because (laughs) as you say, like, if anybody had two brain cells to rub together when they were planning this thing, they would have done exactly that. They would have said, oh, you know, who partners with the WNBA? Dick's Sporting Goods. You know, who's in the area? What small local gym might like some publicity and will give us free workout space? Like, we could do this. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's a San Antonio professional basketball team, isn't there? There is. Perhaps we could call them. Maybe. (laughs) What a shock. I'm just spitballing. Yeah. 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 Oh, and so the actual facilities as well in which they're playing are also terrible. I don't remember the names of the places that they're playing, but the men are playing in a very nice, big, you know, fancy court and the women are playing it. They're in like a high school gym. Yep. I I don't even know that it's that. It Like from the pictures, it looks like they're in the grand ballroom of a hotel that's had some like wood <laughs> that's the workout room the i mean floor. the actual play. no no no. i know oh. but it looks i mean at least what i saw it looked like a carpeted room that had planks laid out for the for the game maybe that was their practice set but maybe that might be i think they court. are playing in an actual like high school gym or something like that but but also a high school gym yeah are there are yeah. there no universities in san antonio i'm pretty uh, sure that there are i'm pretty sure there are like 10 yeah, and, and even as ass backwards as Texas is, mm. I don't know <laughs> that they're using those facilities right now for their sports teams. Mm-hmm. 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 Hey, NCAA, mm-hmm. NCAA, next time you do this, <laughs> just hit us up at foulpuckpod at gmail.com. We can give you some <laughs> ideas as to how not to fuck it up. Yep. <laughs> I for could a plan this fee. whole thing. I could plan this whole thing over several lunch breaks and have done a better job than these guys did. Yep. And it just makes you wonder, like, because a lot of this stuff got spread very quickly on social media because of the, Mm -hmm. you know, the iconic Fire Festival cheese sandwich images of the single weight rack Mm -hmm. and all the empty space and, you know, how in the in prior years or in you know, facilities all over the country, mm-hmm. how much more has this disparity been going on? You know, it's just that it's so centralized right now that it's uh, easy to see. Yeah. Well, and thankfully, because I think you're probably right, Rachel. I mean, it's because we have social media right now that that was able to be shared and shared so quickly and so broadly. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. has this has this made a blip on... Um, you know, like the nightly news, I kind of no, doubt it. I kind of suspect that many people are completely unaware that this even happened. So um, one of the things that I saw um, that I that I really liked, it was a short clip by um, Emmanuel Acho, um, who is a former NFL player and now um, a Fox Sports commentator. And he had like a minute long clip um, on a, on a show yesterday and I put Mm -hmm. it on our Instagram. Um, and one of the things he said was, 
um, or, or basically the, the crux of his argument in this clip is the NCAA is trying to serve two masters. One mm-hmm. is capitalism and one is title nine and equality in sports. And the, the, um, the quote that really stuck with me was as long as you're trying to serve money, you can't serve equality. Right. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense. And I think he's probably right. But that also made me wonder just how much Title IX plays into this whole thing. Um, And this is one of the things that surprised me a little bit. But the NCAA does not have to follow Title IX. They are not subject to Title IX at all. Really? Because Title IX applies to public and private educational institutions that receive federal funding. So the NCAA okay. is not a pr- public or private educational institution, and they do not receive federal funding. Mm-hmm. And the, the federal funding doesn't have to be for athletics. So there are all sorts of, you know, Pell grants, student, um, student aid grants um, that go to universities for programs from the federal government. If a university um, or, or an institute of higher education receives money from the federal government, they have to implement Title IX across the board. It's not just for athletics. It's about equality right. across um, all educational programs and activities. But it does not apply to the NCAA. So the NCAA might be trying to serve two masters, but I would argue that the second master is not Title IX. It's the court of public opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the so I, I did a little digging into kind of the history of the NCAA and, and how it works. And then I got sidetracked into um, collegiate um, athletics administration. And you guys know I work at a university. So I, I think the, the, the combination of university administration and sports just really spoke to me in a way that I didn't expect <laughs> it to. Hi, also, I'm a nerd. Um, so the NCAA started by, by another name in the early 1900s, I want to say 1905, and it started with football and football Mm -hmm. remains to this day, the largest driver of NCAA. It's the largest, um, moneymaker, um, and it's the largest expense of, um, the NCAA, um, couple of years ago, the Chronicle of Higher Education estimated that collegiate sports was a $10 billion industry. Um, You'd have to combine men's basketball with 34 more NCAA sports to equal college football revenue. Um, in, In 2017, NCAA revenue hit a billion dollars. And that's, that's NCAA revenue. That's not collegiate athletics revenue. So the, right. so the NCAA, um, they run the tournaments. And in order to participate in the tournament, your educational institution has to follow their rules. So the NCAA doesn't actually have any like power over universities, as far as I can tell. It's just that if you want to participate in the NCAA tournament, in March Madness, in any of the other 185 or something like that tournaments that they run for various other sports, you have to abide by their rules. Okay. Um, And so that includes 
um, the limitations on scholarships versus payment. Um, it includes uh, the, the academic requirements, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so it was just, it was interesting to me. Like I said, I, I work at a university and I didn't realize just how separated from all of this the NCAA could be. Also, did you know they're yeah, technically I've... a nonprofit? No, I did not know that. <laughs> they're a registered nonprofit. Weird. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so in the in the of the revenue that they bring in. Oh shoot! Did I close that revenue page? I probably did. Why did I do that? Um, <laughs> let's see. That's right. I did look into their their revenue and expense. So most of their um, revenue goes back to colleges and universities, um, especially Division One colleges and universities, to give um, support and scholarships to the students. Um, in 2012, according to the NCAA themselves, that was 63% of their um, expenses was direct contribution back to um, the schools hmm. and the and the players, which I thought was interesting. So then I got this was like the the national anthem thing all over again. I was like down this path, <laughs> and I was like, oh well, let me take a quick left turn here. Um, so in 2015, there was a a meeting of six, representatives of the basically the wealthiest 65 colleges who participate in the NCAA that changed a, a couple of the rules. So the first one um, that changed was that division one schools were now allowed to cover the full cost of attendance of um, players of athletes. Mm. The second one was that those 65 colleges, not everybody who participates in the NCAA, but those wealthiest must commit to, quote, carrying out policies that provide multi-year scholarships. Because apparently one of the things that happens is they frequently get, these student athletes frequently get one year, and then they have no way of supporting themselves oh. after that. Yeah. Um, now, frankly, to me, must commit to carrying out policies that provide multi-year scholarships doesn't really sound like it has a lot of teeth in it. So mm -hmm. I don't know how much that's... <laughs> you like, got to start... Start forming a committee to think about maybe yes, implementing exactly, this change. Exactly. Um, there's no, yeah, there's no timeline to that or anything. Um, so then I also wanted to look into outside of the NCAA, because the NCAA does not provide all of the funding that a college or university needs for athletics. Mm-hmm. They provide some of it. And in many cases, it's very little because, you know, a, a billion dollars is a billion dollars. And 63% of that, if their estimates stay the same, is what, $63 million, something like that. Like that doesn't actually go a long way across that many universities. Mm -hmm. It would be $630 million, Thank but, you. but like still, if you're dividing Thank it you. up again amongst a bunch of universities, yeah. then yeah. It goes pretty quickly. Um, so... So typically, universities make their revenue in four different ways. Tuition, state support, endowments and donations. And then the fourth one is this auxiliary. That's um, dining services, housing, like residential dorms and stuff, and athletics. So 
the stuff that comes in from NCAA is supplementing their own um, uh, auxiliary revenue sources. Um, and it's meant to cover all of their athletic expenses. But then the athletic expenses are so, like, this is where I kind of just lost my mind and started writing down <laughs> facts. Because I couldn't, I got so, I got so caught up in my own brain, brain about where everything goes. Like, so in 2017, University of Texas and Texas A&M each had $200 million in athletics revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, with, between them, LSU, Alabama, Auburn, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and a handful of others, they had a billion dollars of athletics revenue, primarily football revenue. Right. Um, and what happens is the athletics revenue tends to then go to pay for other athletics in the university. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just... I mean, thankfully, it's not just that the football programs are reinvesting in football over and over and over again. You know, they go to... Right. Much as it may seem like it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They go to men's and women's basketball. They go to the swim teams. They go to the fencing team. You know, whatever Mm -hmm. whatever sports Mm -hmm. are are there. Um, But then at the same time, the, the coaches at many, many, many colleges and universities are some of the highest paid people... Yep. In in the they university or in the state. Yep. Like <laughs> so I I feel I feel some measure of weird guilt like calling out my own institution, but it's all public information. <laughs> I'm not like sharing insider <laughs> secrets here. Because we work for the state, everything is public. Our salaries are mm-hmm. public. So I did a right, quick right. I did a quick look at um, our top 10 salaries. And seven of the top 10 salaries at my institution are people who are in the athletics program. Mm-hmm. They're coaches. Yep. Um, the only other people are the president of the universe. Universe. No, he's not president of the universe. President <laughs> of the university. Um, the provost and a special assistant to the president. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was athletics. Mm-hmm. Um, I also looked at I also looked at um, fees for athletics. So again, at, at my institution, again, all public information, we have roughly 40,000 students. Um, if we assume that half of them are full-time and half of them are part-time, and you mm-hmm. take the, the student fees for athletics alone, right? Student mm-hmm. fees are usually about 1000 bucks, and they're, they're broken into eight different categories. If you take the, mm-hmm. the student fees for athletics alone, it's $5.5 million that students are paying into the athletic program. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and this is like, we have good. And this is have, every student, right? Not just. Yeah, that's right. Athletes. It's every student. Yeah. Um, and like, we are not a Notre Dame. We're not a, you know, Auburn. We don't right. have. I mean, we have solid athletics programs, but it's not like the heart and soul of the university. Right. Yeah. And so to look at this, that. We're getting $5 million a year from student fees, plus whatever we get from the NCAA, plus whatever we get in revenue. And I'm just, I, I, again, I don't know where I'm going with this anymore. I've, I've totally lost the plot from all of the things that I was reading. It just, <laughs> it just goes to reinforce the whole concept of capitalism driving 
everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I read a really great quote um, from a do, 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 from a uh, no from a book um, synopsis. Um, the book is the book is Intercollegiate Athletics Inc by James T. Bennett. And um, one of the things that he says about paying college athletes, because now I'm taking another turn because I got into the Mm -hmm. concept of paying (laughs) college athletes. I didn't go deep into it, but if college football and basketball players do join the ranks of the official salaries, salaried, officially salaried, we will have the strange spectacle of ordinary students paying increased fees in order to subsidize not just the education, but the livelihoods, the salaries of their far more fated and celebrated sports playing fellow students. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side, there's another article on the Chronicle of Higher Education that makes the argument that, um, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look for it now, but it makes the argument that the majority of athletics income for colleges and universities come on the backs of black students. Yep. And mm-hmm. so is this another case? Not is this. So this is another case of work happening on the backs of black athletes, black children um, going to benefit the other sports at an institution, which are predominantly white. Mm-hmm. And so is this another case of like stealing intergenerational wealth and possibility from from the black community and our black athletes? And so that's where my brain just like exploded. I was like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. The whole so, concept of paying collegiate athletes, I think it's really something we should devote an episode to because I find it, I find the arguments on all sides of it really interesting. And it's not something that I know enough about to to feel like. I can just very confidently say this position is correct because X, Y, Z. Like, I kind of think probably we should pay them, but I don't, you know, like I need to read more about it on all sides um, because I can see problems with with how that would work out. Yeah, I find the arguments on both sides quite compelling. (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's something we definitely need to put a pin in and and come back to at some point. Bless you. Bless you. Everybody's got the plague today. She's so upset about it, she's sneezing. <laughs> so, you know, I I don't know that I have anything else. It's just, there's just so much. It just went in so many different ways. Um, oh, also in this, yes. in this Intercollegiate Athletics Inc. book, he makes the point, James Bennett makes the point that Division I schools spend three to six times as much on athletics per athlete than on academics per student. Of course. Yeah. Capitalism. And I'm like, I'm, I get it, because the, the athletes are generating revenue. Right. Exactly. But, Capitalism. But the mission of an in, of an institution of higher education is to Wait, educate. What? Right, but so this gets into the problem of how, you know, current institutions get very little support from, you know, the government. And this goes way back. I mean, I remember even when I was in college, I I guess it was the, I don't remember. 
remember why it was, but I remember there was a point when I was in college, because it wasn't the Great Recession yet, but there was a point at which the Utah state budget got cut by like half, that it was receiving half as much from the state because Utah wanted to make all their colleges self-sufficient. And it's this whole concept of like, well, universities should pay for themselves. No, they fucking shouldn't. Higher education (laughs) is a public good. We should all be paying for it because it's useful to the society as a whole. Everything should be run like a business? Yes, (laughs) it should not. (laughs) It's just, it's this infuriating thing about, you know... I understand that universities then do have to, you know, court the things that bring in money. And I hate it because that shouldn't be what they're doing. Yeah. I understand why it is, but I disagree with the premise, you know. And it's it's going to be even worse now and for the next couple of years because of COVID. Because, I mean, at least for at least for state schools, because state budgets got cut, which means the mm-hmm. states cut the university's budget. They have less mm-hmm. revenue from sports. Yep. But you know, I know I said this before several months ago, and we were talking about this very thing about how about how COVID was going to affect universities. The yep. fact that universities, many universities, rely on athletic income mm-hmm. to run mm-hmm. is a problem. A huge problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, with your permission, I want to turn this a little bit. Um, and Please do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is something that we're definitely going to come back to. Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. And yeah, and look into maybe talking to some people who are more involved with it mm-hmm. than we are. You, uh, us revisit capitalism <laughs> in sports? <laughs> <laughs> Unthinkable. If the yeah, shoe it keeps fits. popping up like the the groundhog in the carnival game so one of the people (laughs) whack-a-mole that's the one (laughs) the groundhog in the carnival game (laughs) you know the the thing with the mallet and the yeah the the groundhog is weather he's not in the game oh i guess and i was thinking you were thinking puxatawney phil half uh groundhog day half um caddyshack i don't know (laughs) Small rodent in a hole. Let's move on. That's fair. Uh, So one of the people who was calling out the NCAA for this past bullshit this week was Steph Curry, whom we know and love and talk a lot about. And in fact, Steph Curry was one of two recipients to receive the Jackie Robinson Sports Award from the or during the the 52nd NAACP Image Awards. Uh, This is a first that they award it to two recipients. Uh, and one of them is Steph Curry. And the other is the entire WNBA. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty great. Um, for quote, Whose mantle does that sit on? Their high, I mean, I assume they pass it around like the Stanley Cup, you know? Uh, it was... It's Naturally, given to- I'm sorry. I, that's a wonderful thing to do. But I'm sorry. Once again... The man gets his own trophy, and the women get one to share. You're not Carry on. wrong, but I think that's not the point of this sure. particular sure. instance. Um, because the idea is that it's for high achievements in athletics and contributions in the pursuit of social justice, civil rights, and community involvement. Mm-hmm. So, like, so they, they could name have... all of the people involved in that. I'm just. I... <laughs> 
I, I'm sorry. I'm taking away from your point, Nancy. Well, I, I'm trying to... I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think this is an instance of what you think it is. Okay. I guess. Um, because I think they could have, you know, if they wanted to specifically call out specific women who were heading that up, I think they could have. But I think they wanted to recognize the institution as a whole and all of the players. Okay. So whether they should have just done that and left Steph Curry out of it, I think, is a valid question. But I don't think this is about not naming individual women. I think this was about wanting to recognize the coordinated group effort okay. of the WNBA. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I'll take it. Now, whether that's accurate or not, I can't say. But that was my take. But we'll go with it. We'll go with it for now. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to to talk about it because I read a thing recently that I had thought was interesting and hadn't really heard about before which is um so kobe bryant who we talked about last year uh when he died unexpectedly uh you know had a difficult history vis-a-vis women and sexual assault and domestic violence um but one of the things he was known for in his later years was actually being a really huge proponent of women in sports particularly women in basketball um he invested heavily in uh girls basketball teams in the area and he also uh had really uh formed connections with players in the WNBA and in college uh women's college basketball and it was something that all of the articles that I read about it basically said he was only just beginning that work that you know he had these four daughters and he was really you know involved in that and and had he lived would probably have gone on to be a huge proponent and huge you know image raiser and and pusher Mm -hmm. for all of this stuff and this gets to the complicated thing we talk about where it's like okay how women's sports shouldn't be dependent on men famous men supporting and talking about them but they are so it's good when they do i guess Mm -hmm. um Right. And this is, and he was doing that. And I guess in the wake of his death, Steph Curry has really taken on that mantle. Uh, He currently sponsors a free camp for 200 girls and women uh, to play basketball. He is a fierce advocate for equal pay and equal opportunities for female athletes. And he really uh, is seeing that as the role that he is taking on, uh, which I thought was really nice. And he's working with a a rookie player in the WNBA from this last year, Sabrina Unescu, uh, who I guess they're like really pretty good friends now. Uh, and he, you know, became friends with her while she was a standout college player. And so they've been working together on a lot of this stuff. So yeah, he's a good one. He can stay. Yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, good. You said that. Cause otherwise you might've had to fight Nancy. <laughs> oh no, no, he can stay. Nobody fights over <laughs> Steph Curry. He's just universally beloved. Um, he's darling. He is. He's a delightful human. Um, So I thought that was really nice. And then to see that he, along with the WNBA, is getting uh, the Jackie Robinson Award, I thought that was nice. Um, So that's that's my Steph Curry story of the week. I like that. Well, speaking of the Warriors, Nancy, didn't you have an update on another player? Yeah, so so the general Warriors update is just that they continue to be a little up and down. They're currently in ninth place. They've dropped from eighth place. Um, they've had a couple real bad losses. They've had a couple good wins. Um, it's kind of par for the course for what you expect from them right now. Andrew Wiggins had a 40-point night last night, which is great. Jesus. Good for him. Uh, Kevon Looney had a real good night. Uh, you know, they they've 
they're doing some good stuff. They're also dropping the occasional game, laying a real egg out there on the floor sometimes, <laughs> like uh, when they played the Lakers recently. Uh, the Jazz, my other my other team, are having a little bumpier road right now, but they're still in the lead. They're still at the top of the Western Conference with 30 wins. Uh, top of the Eastern is still the 76ers with 28 wins. Wow. Yeah. Weird. Weird. How yeah. much more of the season is left? Uh, like about 25 to 30 games, I want to say, depending on the oh, team. Okay, they're so not more all... than I thought. Yeah, it's, there's still a decent amount left. Um. So the the Warriors are currently at 22 wins, 20 losses. They're in ninth. Um, 7, 8, and 9 are at 22 wins, 21 wins, and 22 wins. Um, so it could go anywhere from here. Um, but the light of my life, my favorite player, Clay Thompson, continues to amuse and delight. <laughs> he has been much on Instagram lately. <laughs> Uh, and one of my one of the Instagram videos was of him just shooting three pointer after three pointer after three pointer after three pointer <laughs> after three pointer, and then he captioned it with hashtag I'm so bored. <laughs> I was just like, oh, baby, but it I was, bet you it are was impressive. It was like it looked effortless, and I know that yeah. you get to that level of of play and that making it look effortless from. Thousands of mm-hmm. hours of practice, but yeah. yes, and from this the side too yes. with no backboard, yep, to work it's off just of. drops right in, yeah, right. insane. Yeah. So uh, the other thing he has been doing is getting out on the bay a lot recently. Uh, he had a post recently about how he had gone swimming in the bay for the first time ever, and he's been missing out all this time. He can't believe he's been missing out. People used to encourage him to do triathlons. He always thought they were crazy, but now maybe he will actually. Um, and he encourages yeah, the appeal of that to get in the bay. <laughs> cold, dirty water is real hard to deny. <laughs> well, he does say, you know, you want a good wetsuit. And he got a good wetsuit and then he got in and it's delightful and he loves it. Um, he's <laughs> Rachel, also been maybe out on you a... can borrow his wetsuit. You're yeah, about the same go. size, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> she won't need flippers. She could just use the extra leg exactly. hanging off the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's also been out on a sailboat with his dog some, uh, and then the most recent one was him in a kayak, uh, joking about kayaking into practice. <laughs> so it's Nancy, so... what's what is like precipitating all of these things? Is he out injured? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. so he okay. has been. So he was out all of last season. Okay. Um, I'm sure you've talked about it before. It's just I have. But he's still, and then he, just as he was coming back this this fall, he re-injured a different injury. Um, so he's been rehabbing. And, you know, it's very frustrating for him, I'm sure, because it's two mm-hmm. of his peak years. He's like, I want to say 29 and then just turned 30, I think. And mm-hmm. so like his best years, he's supposed to come back next season. He looks, I mean, from the videos he's posting, it looks like he's doing great. Um but yeah, I can well, imagine. doesn't injure a third thing on the way back from the first two. Knock all the wood, my friend. Uh, but yeah, I mean, one of the real appeals of Clay has always just been that, like, his life is basketball, right? Like, uh-huh. he just, he has his dog. He has his friend Zaza Pachulia that he goes fishing with. And then he has basketball. And, of course, he's not been able to basketball yeah. in the better part of two years. And so... Yeah, that's got to be real hard. Although I wonder, it's got to be real hard. I wonder if it gives him any insight 
into what he will do post basketball. I think he'll probably, I mean, so his dad is a, is a media personality for, for LA, for the Lakers. Um, and I expect that Clay will end up eventually doing something like that. He does do broadcasting bits here and there. Uh, they've had, you know, hashtag reporter Clay, where he talks about (laughs) the team and that's, those are always very funny. So it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up doing something like that, but I don't know. I mean, like, it seems like his, (laughs) his life has continued to be his dog and basketball and now the great outdoors. So <laughs> Love it. Yep. Yep. So that's my Clay Thompson update. Everybody should go scroll through his Instagram. It's a delight. It's very entertaining. It really is. I don't I should go sit up on the, the top of my hill near my apartment and see if I see him swim by. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Just that wave. would be amazing. Clay, can I borrow your wetsuit? <laughs> <laughs> Man, he, basketball players must have to get those custom made. They can't just sell wetsuits in a, like a, for a six, <laughs> seven when it, like guy. goes down to his knees yeah. and elbows. <laughs> like. <laughs> it's a capri wetsuit. <laughs> Three quarter length sleeves are a fashion statement, right? <laughs> that they are. So that's all I got. All right. Well, have we got anything else for this week? I don't think so. Oh, the NWHL Isabel Cup is going to be played, and I want to say it's in like a week. Um, I'm pulling up Twitter to see if I can find out. But it is going on. I don't know how. Interesting. Yep. Yep. Uh, One week from today. So Friday, March 26th and Saturday, March 27th. And it is going to be broadcast on NBC Sports and on Twitch. Oh, good. So Toronto versus Boston and Minnesota versus the Whale on Friday. And then uh, the final will be on Saturday. So that's the thing. Sounds good. Yep. Yeah. And there's uh, two more weeks left this weekend and next weekend of um, the AU Pro Sports Volleyball. And of course, they're not having kind of a tournament at the end because it's not team based. So that's so it's just I know, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some kind of ceremonies for the points leaders, stuff like that. But yeah, it is just going to end, which is kind of weird. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. And I've been watching some college softball, which has been fun. And hockey continues to truck along. (laughs) There is still hockey. There is still hockey. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap things up for this week. Rebecca, if you'd like to tell the people where they can find us. I would love to. Um, We are on Instagram at Podcast. Twitter at FoulPuckPod, and you can find our website at FoulPuckPodcast.net. Thank you. And uh, I would like to thank Joe for doing our editing. And I would like to thank Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for our music. And I would like to encourage all of our listeners to tell a friend about the good news of FoulPuckPod and all of the uh, opinions (laughs) and insights that we have here. And also to go on all of our uh, various podcast media whether that's twitter whether that's whatever the hell else we have and give us a retweet or a like and wherever you pick up your uh your podcasts whether that's itunes or stitcher or whatever else you use to give us a five-star review uh give us a rating give us a review tell the people how much you love us and why more folks should listen (laughs) thank you nancy and uh for foul puck i have been rachel i continue to be nancy And I'm Rebecca. And we'll see you next time.